Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Well, hello there. So delighted to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Not our usual time to meet together, but this a very special bonus episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And I thought it only right that we take a look at a not often looked at area of the shop but this is definitely a very special area of the shop as we have various pieces of antiquity artifacts from various tribes of native americans here in the united states as well the first nation peoples in canada but this section over here has a handful of artifacts from those known as the Micmac tribe. Of course, a tribe of First Nations people that settled in the northeast woodlands of the Canadian Atlantic provinces, primarily Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, but also in the northeast region of Maine here in the United States. And of course, the Micmac like many Native Americans and many peoples all over the world, have a rich tradition of legend and lore, mythology and mysticism, a common bond that peoples of all colors and all nations enjoy, whether these tales and this lore be fact or fable. And it is one particular bit of lore of the Micmac tribe and many of the Native Americans in the northeastern section of the United States that intrigues me the most and is at the heart of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. It is the tale of the Wendigo, a tale that has inspired many a book and many a film. So without further ado on this bonus episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Paramount Plus original, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. So, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines is a movie that came out late last week. Friday was kind of a perfect storm of just a ton of things going on. You had, of course, The Exorcist Believer came out a week early on Friday. You had Pet Cemetery Bloodlines that came out. You also had VHS 85, which we're going to be talking about on Thursday's show. Uh, all came out on the same day. And because exorcist believer was kind of a surprise it was supposed to be this coming friday that it was coming out but it didn't want to have any part of going head to head with the taylor swift concert that uh, is going to be hitting the movie theaters uh, they decided to re release it a week early so i had a lot of stuff to cover not to mention some shows that have wrapped up castlevania nocturne wheel of time that i want to talk about and i've got to find places whether this week or next week to throw in some bonus episodes for that on top of all the stuff we've got going on horror wise in october so uh, yeah this is one of those uh like a week or two we're gonna have a lot of content every week because not only we're we gonna have our regular monday and thursday episodes we're gonna have a lot of bonus episodes like this because i didn't want to wait too long to talk about this because this is a movie that 
while I foolishly was expecting the worst but hoping for the best. And I didn't get the best. I don't know if I got the worst. We'll, we'll get to that. But Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, I'm going to be right up front. This is pretty much a prequel to the 2019 Pet Cemetery adaptation, which I was not a fan of. There were just so much that I didn't like about that movie. I didn't like that they changed the Ellie and Gage Creed characters, essentially. They aged up Gage. They made Ellie the the one that died and was brought back to life. Church just had, you know, it was practically CG 90% of the time and just was not, had no personality like the church in the 1989 adaptation of Pet Cemetery. I like John Lithgow and I was really hoping that he was going to do a really good Judd Crandall, but I, and I don't think he did a bad job. I just think that for crying out loud, they could have at least tried to have him do a main accent because Fred Gwynn in the 89 adaptation was so iconic with that like over-the-top main accent, but it really is indicative of a lot of those traditional old-school, old-grizzled main characters from a lot of Stephen King books and short stories. So I thought, you know, if they would have had John Lithgow even try a main accent, which I think, you know, he's a really good actor. I don't think he would have had a problem at all doing that. I probably would have liked his involvement in the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery, And that Tales from the Crypt style ending to it was just fucking... I was like, ah, you gotta be kidding me. So I'm not a fan of 2019's Pet Cemetery. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I love the 89 adaptation. Well, it didn't go into as much of the book as I kind of hoped because that adaptation didn't go into the Wendigo stuff like I was kind of hoping it would. It for my money, is a fairly accurate adaptation. It didn't go into the Wingo stuff. It didn't go into the Judd Crandall, uh, his wife. Uh, didn't go into her storyline because she sees through a lot of the book and, and an integral part of the book and why Judd does what he does as far as introducing Lewis to the, the Micmac burial ground. Uh, they didn't go into as much of Gage uh, being possessed as you got in the book. So it, it by no means was uh, a perfect adaptation, but a pretty damn good one because I think it was just a time thing. This is probably a story that's better suited for a mini series or a limited series on some streaming network or, or Max or something like that to really dive into all the intricacies and nuance of the book and all the story beats and bits that you get in that book to to do that right I think you got to do and I think a lot of Stephen King's works would do better as a limited series as opposed to a movie but since Pet Cemetery Bloodlines is essentially a prequel to the 2019 Pet Cemetery adaptation. I was already expecting the worst. Kind of kind of how I'm not I'm looking forward to the Welcome to Dairy show that's going to be coming out on Max. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when. I don't know if they've actually put out a release date. Uh, maybe this year, maybe next year. But that is essentially a prequel to the It Part 1 and Part 2 that we got here in the past, you know, two, three years. And I wasn't a fan of those, especially the second one. It Chapter 2 was, uh, the, the ending was a joke. 
And while there were a lot of things I liked about that adaptation, there was a lot that I didn't like. And a lot that I didn't like ended up in that second movie. So that makes me, as, as not a fan of that, I'd rather watch the, the 90s miniseries. It, that's a more faithful adaptation of the Stephen King story. And while... I, I'm looking forward to Welcome to Dairy to see what they do. Knowing it's a prequel to a movie I didn't care for just makes me go in with a lot of hesitance. And like I said, hoping for the best but expecting the worst. And that's how it was with Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. And it didn't disappoint in that regard because I, I just felt like this director, this writer-director, Lindsay Anderson Beer, she went into this with... I think all the best intentions, as I think most directors and writers do, that are fans of Stephen King. And they go in with the best of intention, but they just get caught up in their own self that they decide at some point along the way, I don't want to do Stephen King's story. I want to do how I would do Stephen King's story. And as a Stephen King fan, I don't effing care what you want to do as a Stephen King story. I don't effing care. I'm trying to keep the swear words down, at least early on. Uh, when I get worked up about something, who knows how many F words are going to fly, but I'm, I'm trying to keep it effing for right now, but uh, it's no holds barred once we get into the spoilery section. I really get worked up. But I don't care what a writer or director thinks the Stephen King story should have been or how they think the Stephen King story was, was fine back then when it was written, but this is a modern audience and we want to do things the modern way. Fuck the modern way. Oh, there we go. Uh, the the dam's been breached. And here comes the torrent of profanities. But I don't care about what you think the Stephen King story should be. Stephen King did a excellent job on all of his stories. Uh, most of his stories. There may be some exceptions. But I, I want to see that. I want to see his adaptation on the screen. Not your adaptation. And that's what you got with this. You had Lindsay Anderson Beer who is doing an adaptation of a movie that took a lot of liberties with Stephen King's story to begin with, and then she decided that she wanted to change certain aspects of the lore, how the whole mechanics of the the quote-unquote pet cemetery, the Micmac burial ground, even works. And I, I don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care... If you're afraid to do something because, you know, you, you're afraid of upsetting this group of people or that group of people, uh, it's, it's the book. And you're changing fundamental things about the book and uh, fundamental things about the story and how the story works. Because you're a modern woman who uh, I, I'm sure is being told about her white privilege all the time. So I'll save it for the spoiler section of this this talk about uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. But she came on board and took a script that was already written and changed it to fit her own personal belief system and hang Stephen King in the source material and hang anybody that wants to see a an adaptation of Stephen King's work. She wants to do uh, an adaptation of Lindsay Anderson Beer's work. And for the most part, this movie... Uh, much like The Exorcist Believer, uh, it had a decent cast. I really didn't mind the cast at all. Jackson White did a fine job with the Judd Crandall character, even though I would have liked at least somebody. Jesus, there is nobody in this movie that speaks with a main accent. 
And I'm like, and I'm pretty sure that's how the the 2019 Pet Cemetery was. Nobody had a main accent. So I suppose since Judd and that didn't have a main accent, Judd and this wasn't going to have a main accent. But it just, like, for crying out loud, it just pretend like you give a shit about creating a world that is realistic. But that aside, Jackson White did a fine job as Judd Crandall. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't interesting or exemplary. It was just, and I don't fault him. I don't fault Jackson White. It just, the writing was bland. Forrest Goodluck played Manny, uh, a character that's introduced in this story. I thought he did a good job there again. Um, he just didn't, you know, it was nothing special. There there was nothing special about any of these characters. Jack Mulhern played Timmy Baderman, but it just, you know, he just seemed like any other bro on the street and not like somebody who was dead and came back to life. David Duchovny as Bill Baderman uh, did a fine job. He's a really good actor. Same with Henry Thomas as Dan Crandall, Judd Crandall. Randall's father did a really good job. Just there really wasn't much there to work with script-wise or or story-wise. Uh, Pam Greer's even in this. She plays Marjorie Washburn, and she she has a couple good lines in it. Uh, the one line where it's like, uh, "I killed Baderman's fucking dog. Now let's kill him," and uh, it was kind of funny, but it, it really felt out of place in this movie. It felt like. Let's bring Pam Greer in because Pam Greer has a, a history of like really good action movies and she brings that action movie sensibility to this in some of her line delivery and it just felt like she was a character in a completely different movie. Now I may have just spoiled something for this but uh, it's only a minor spoiler so before I do any more damage as far as spoilers go uh, we are going to get into spoiler territory. Uh, Watch this if you've got Paramount Plus and you like Pet Cemetery. it's maybe worth a watch just to see why the 1989 version of Pet Cemetery is far superior to any of the other pet cemeteries but if you don't don't go out of your way to watch this unless you are a i can't even say if you're a diehard stephen king fan because if you're a diehard stephen king fan like i am if you love pet cemetery and uh, the 89 movie which i'm a huge fan of both of those one of my favorite books if not my favorite stephen king novel and one of my favorite if not my favorite ad well, i can't say my favorite that's that's really tough but one of definitely one of my favorite adaptations uh, you're not going to like this because it takes a movie that deviated from the source material to begin with and did a prequel to it and deviated even further in in other realms from the source material so if you're a Stephen King fan, uh, a hardcore one, you're probably not going to like it. But I'd never tell you what not to watch a movie, so watch it at your own risk. Uh, there's probably going to be a lot of lay fans and a lot of people that... I think a lot of Stephen King fans, quote-unquote Stephen King fans, I think there's a lot of us diehards out there that read the books and, and watch the movies. But I think there's a lot of casual fans out there that say they're Stephen King fans and they're huge Stephen King fans and probably never have read a book. And they just watch the adaptations. So their idea of Stephen King, well, he does Pet Cemetery, so Pet Cemetery 2 must be an adaptation from Stephen King. Has nothing to do with fucking Stephen King. But there's people like that out here, and people like that probably going to like this. So without further ado, we are going to get into some spoiler territory. If you haven't watched Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, go watch it, come back, hear my thoughts on it. I guarantee you they're not going to be glowing. But from here on out, if you have watched it or you don't care, you're probably not going to watch it. So you just want to hear about it anyway. We're going to truck on, pun intended. We're going to truck on one of those big uh, Orenco 
uh, semi-trucks. But we're heading into spoiler territory. So the first thing we see in this is, and like I said, we're in the spoiler territory. So if you're listening, you didn't want anything spoiled. This is, we're going to start right off. You've got the Bill Baderman, David Duchovny character, burying his son at the Micmac burial ground. And like you just you're just thrown right into it. And it really takes out any of the what you love about Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery is all about grief and dealing with grief and and the depth somebody will go to in their grief to bring their loved one back. That was what was so engaging about the Lewis Creed story. I mean, even Pet Cemetery 2 had that to a degree. And the 2019 Pet Cemetery adaptation uh, had that in it that that dealing with grief and the lengths that somebody will go to the compromising of their morals to bring back somebody they love from the dead and you totally bypass that with this and have bill baderman burying his son up at the pet cemetery and instead of it taking like the walk back and maybe the next morning before the dead show up again the hand comes right out of the ground after he buries it mere seconds and grabs the dog that is with Bill Baderman and kills it. They're, they're right there, right off the bat, you're already disregarding how the pet cemetery, or I, I keep calling it the pet cemetery because that's kind of the colloquial term for it, but how the Micmac burial ground works. You're, you're screwing with the mythology right there. And of course, when we see that dog later, it is in the same posture on the road. And I'm not even 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that the dog, like half the time was a CG dog, just sitting there in the road with the same demeanor and posture as Church in the 2019 adaptation, which most of the time was a CG and it just looked bad. But you knew that uh, Bill Baderman, after his son came back to life, killed his dog, they buried the dog, and the dog came out, and it didn't take too much to put two and two together there. But one of the other things I really didn't like about this is the treatment of Judd Crandall, because Judd Crandall in the book and the 1989 adaptation, I, I can't remember, I'm pretty sure in the 2019 adaptation he even talks about this, but talks about being introduced to the Micmac burial ground and the power of it as a little kid, I think 10 years old. Uh, he was, you know, his dog died and he was shown by the Ragman or Stanny B. I can't remember if that's his name or not. Uh, that that character takes him up to the Micmac burial grounds and Judd buries his dog. And in this, he's in his, I mean, he's out of high school uh, in his 20s, a 20 something guy. And he's never heard of the, the Micmac burial ground and doesn't know anything about it. So right there, you're already contradicting your own movie that you're being a prequel for. Because I'm, I'm pretty damn sure they mentioned that in 2019. I only watched it the one time. I will never watch that fucking movie again. So I don't, I don't know. But if at anything, you're disregarding that movie. Uh, you're certainly disregarding the book. And I hated how they treated the whole idea of these town forefathers being kind of like watchmen. Dan Crandall, played by Henry Thomas, uh, the Pam Greer character, the town sheriff, and, and some other guy. They're these descendants of the, the town fathers, that the founding fathers of Ludlow, who all know about the Micmac burial ground, and they're kind of... They're kind of like the the watchmen. <laughs> and it just, it, it felt kind of 
like conspiracy theory and secret society. I, I didn't like that. And I know she did that based on a line at the end of the book where Judd is referred to as the keeper of the woods or the watcher of the woods or something like that. And I think it is indicative of one of the biggest problems of this movie is that Lindsay Anderson Beer, as a writer and a director of this, she is trying to answer questions and expand on things that nobody wanted answered or needed answered or wanted expanded on. Just Judd knowing about the power, and, and he even references in the book that he's not the only one, but it's not like some organized group of crime fighters. It's like the, the neighborhood watch, the guardian angels out there doing shifts and walking the, the line and making sure your kids are in bed by curfew. It's more of there are certain people that know about this burial ground and know the power of it and know how dangerous the power is. And much like a lot of other Stephen King stories, it is a prime example. It's a situation where you have a town and where the older people in the town are aware of this evil that is lying underneath the surface, quite literally in Pet Cemetery, uh, They're aware of it, but they, they don't speak of it. They don't talk about it. They don't warn anybody about it. They just keep this dark secret and cower in fear because of it. And, and in this case, they, they cower in fear because of it. Judd Crandall doesn't right off the bat tell Lewis about this when they're going down to the, the actual pet cemetery. It's not until that opening where he has the opportunity to show Lewis the power and uh, the power of the Micmac burial ground compels him to share this. And that is kind of the essence of this power. It, it wants to be shared. It wants to be passed on to the next person. But until that point, uh, you know, these old timers that know about this burial ground and what it can do and the power that is is evil that lurks there uh they don't talk about it and they're certainly not an organized group of crime fighters trying to protect the world they're the shield against the powers of the micmac burial ground or some stupid horseshit nonsense uh like out of a marvel movie and i alluded to this earlier talking about one of the big things in the lore that lindsey anderson beer changed is that in the book, it talks about the Micmac burial ground being uh, a ground that went sour. And it's kind of alluded to that probably in lean years that maybe uh, some of the, the members of the, the local tribe or whatever had turned to cannibalism. You, you had that sort of stuff back in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s, and, and 1500s, stuff like that. It's not mutually exclusive to Native American tribes. I mean, Jesus, the Donner Party, which, uh, you know, is referenced in The Shining, based on a factual piece of history, were white people. And they resorted to cannibalism. When the winter months get lean and food is scarce, 
Uh, sometimes people turn to horrible things. But in this story, that it's possible that some of the Micmac tribe uh, turned to cannibalism. They buried the bones of the victims of that cannibalism in this burial ground. The Wendigo cursed the land and the land became sour. And when you buried somebody there, it came back from the dead. So they stopped using it. And it was not until the idiot white man came along and just couldn't resist that sort of power that we have all the horror that happens, including that of the Pet Cemetery book. Well, Lindsay Anderson Beer, I, I've read some articles uh, with her doing interviews. I've watched some videos with her doing interviews. And her big thing is she felt she didn't want to do something where it was all mystical indigenous people and kind of alluding to the fact that she thought that was racist. I'll read you a quote from Lindsay Anderson Beer that I, I found in an interview she did with Rue Morgue. Uh, she says, uh, when, when asked about her approach to handling the Native American element of the Pet Cemetery story, she says, that was one of the things that drew me to the project. I met with a lot of consultants and had conversations about depictions of Native Americans as mystical indigenous and what effect it had on that community and how we can now use genre filmmaking to kind of undo those wrongs and tell a different narrative. And to me, it just, it begs the question, what consultants was she asking? Because uh, we, we have a, an issue with a lot of young white people these days where they try to champion minorities and in doing so they attribute a negative connotation to various aspects of a minority's portrayal in film and literature without taking into consideration just because they look at it and see that as well that's that's a caricature or that is uh, that's a negative connotation that is a negative stereotype of of this culture a instead of asking well okay maybe it is but every culture has negative aspects to it or aspects that are maybe a bit of a caricature but is it still a real part of of said culture, whether it be a minority culture, whether it be a majority culture. And then, of course, once these people, generally, like I said, young white people, have decided that this aspect of a minority's culture is has a negative connotation and it is racially insensitive to portray that, uh, once they have deemed that to be the case and that to be the fact, then they try to, one, erase that completely from any depiction of that minority and if you try to depict that then you're gonna get canceled to me that's ignorant because have you ever have you ever looked into particular cultures for my money every culture whether it be native american whether it be african-american asian-american white american we all have levels of mysticism ingrained in our stories and our lore and our history and to explore some of those mystical elements of, of any society of any race of any culture of any religion it's not racist and it's not racially insensitive to do so i mean of course yeah you have to portray and understand that that's not the only aspect of that culture but to to pretend it's not a part of that culture is it's not being racially sensitive it's being ignorant to the the broader landscape of what makes a culture what makes a group of people that group of people because to sit there and say that indigenous people don't have levels of mysticism to their culture 
is like saying that people of any race or any culture don't have some form of mysticism as a part of their culture and a part of their various religions. Christians believe that their God had a son that came and died and and rose again and then transfigured and, and went up to heaven. If you don't think that is some level or some form of mysticism, then, then you're blind. So I, I don't think it is racist to imply that there might not be some level of mysticism to this Micmac tribe, their belief in the Wendigo and that something cursed the land. And But she wanted to get rid of all that. She wanted to, to go a different route and not have anything with the Wendigo, not have anything with indigenous people. It was the land is cursed and the land has evil spirits and... It was the, the white man who, who came in and upset this land and upset the spirits. Maybe it had something to do with cannibalism. Maybe cannibalism was the result. It, it is all kind of murky. And the Micmac burial grounds, it's not really certain whether it's the grounds. I mean, you still have to go to the grounds. But then she tried to tie in some spirally. This is a, a ward to protect the land and masks. And it, it was just all very kind of confusing because she didn't want to go with the text as it was written, the story as it was written, the lore as it was written. She wanted to do her own thing. And that's where she kicked up the mud and the waters got really murky because I don't even think she knew what she wanted to say as far as how the lore was supposed to go because, again, she overcomplicated something that was quite clearly very simple and very straightforward and made for a good story. Her nonsense didn't make for a good story. It just made things murky and confusing. But for the most part, this movie, outside of some of the big changes and the things they did wrong as far as a storytelling you know based on a book goes it was rather i don't know it just wasn't scary she didn't do a good job of creating any atmosphere there was a lot of shitty jump scares there was one really good jump scare that i actually didn't mind it's when one of the one of the guys one of the descendants of the founding fathers uh they're well they're all at the baderman farm and they're all looking for timmy baderman and norma judd's girlfriend soon to be wife which you knew she wasn't in harm but then again yeah just because she shows up in the book and is alive there doesn't mean that we're going to kill her off in this because Lindsay beers already said f you to stephen king's lore and, and and how the book went i mean she's such a big fan of the book at all but they're looking for norma and this guy is in the barn looking under these stalls, uh, under the door of these stalls. And he does one and he does two. And then when he gets to the third one, I'm like, okay, rule of three, something's going to happen. But when he looks, he's pulled under. And there's no real loud noise other than his scream. And actually the way that it was edited and the way it was pulled off, it was actually kind of a good jump scare and an effective jump scare. One of the only effective jump scares in that. Uh, even the dog attacking Norma wasn't that effective. It also seemed very much out of the blue. But the movie, for the most part, just really kind of meandered uh, through the first and the second act with this. It's a mystery, but it's not a mystery. Uh, you've got Dan Crandall, Judd's father, Henry Thomas playing him, and the other founding father's descendants all knowing about the Micmac burial ground and what's going on with Timmy Baderman. But... Judd and Manny 
don't know and they're trying to find out. So it's like you spend the whole time thinking, okay, guys, come on, you, you got to catch up. And there's a scene with a drunk priest that just seemed out of the blue and kind of superfluous. But the movie just kind of meanders until you get to that third act when all of these town fathers get to the, the Baderman house and they're going to kill Timmy Baderman. And they set it up where, where Bill Baderman, David Duchovny, talks about how he is going to hold Timmy in the house while they set the house on fire. And kind of how it plays out in the book, sort of. I think more along the lines of how it plays out in the 89 Pet Cemetery. But you think, oh, they're gonna they're gonna do that ending. That's that's cool. At least it's a uh, an homage or, or a reference to the book and and how the the eighty nine movie went. But then then it all goes off the rails with this labyrinth of tunnels that p- apparently Timmy Baderman has been digging nonstop in the two three days that he's been alive again. And and they go it, it leads out into the woods to this final showdown that was very anticlimactic. Then of course Henry Thomas, who is Judd Crandall's father was always the guy sitting on his porch smoking cigarettes and drinking beer, kind of like Judd is in Pet Cemetery, the book. And then, of course, he dies, and then Judd, instead of leaving town, he decides to stay so he can become the watcher on the wall for the Pet Cemetery. And so then he turns into the guy sitting on the porch smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. Uh, it, it was very kind of uh, like just an obvious setup uh, because as soon as I saw Henry Thomas doing that, I was like, oh, that's where he got that from. He got that from his father. Uh, I didn't really see how they were going to tie that in with what it had to do with the McMack burial ground, but they didn't do it in a very effective or interesting way. And the way they, they tried to, to put in the sometimes dead is better line uh, when... <laughs> Henry Thomas, uh, just before he dies, he's about to say, sometimes dead is better. But just before he gets the, he just starts the B in better and he gets stabbed through the gut with a shotgun. So he never really finishes it. And then towards the end, they do a Judd voiceover where he says the sometimes dead is better. And just as he's about to say that, my wife comes walking through the living room and I I quote the line before he says it on the screen and she starts laughing because she knew I wasn't looking forward to this and knew I thought it was going to be pretty bad. And as that last line proved quite predictable. But then they have that big truck driving by jump scare, which did not work at all, was not effective at all. So all in all, this was just, it just wasn't a good movie. I, I did not enjoy it. It wasn't horrible. Uh, unless you're a Stephen King fan, unless you're a fan of the Pet Cemetery book, then I suppose you will think it's horrible. Uh, I, I think it's horrible because of that. But as a horror movie goes, I don't think it's horrible. I just don't think it's that good. Uh, it's not very scary. They don't do a good job of building any atmosphere or tension. Maybe in a couple scenes, there's some scary moments, but like maybe one, maybe two. And the effects, I mean, if you like gore, this is probably one of the gorier installments of Pet Cemetery. They did do some practical effects, but then they did CG effects where I was like, oh, why didn't you just do practical where uh, Norma is trying to wipe off Donna's feet and it pulls the skin away, but you can tell it's obviously a CG effect. And I'm like, well, you could have done practical. That wouldn't have been that hard to do a practical effect there. And it just, like, the CG looked CG. And the practical, when they used it, 
was actually pretty good and looked halfway as decent. Uh, the acting, not horrible. The direction, uh, she just, I, I just don't think she got great performances out of some of these actors because it felt like some of the actors were just kind of phoning in their lines. One in, in particular that I thought, but I'll let you be the judge of that. And I think all of the huge changes that, that she made, the Lindsay Anderson beer made about the lore that this story is based on, I think was, it's fucking selfish, I think is what it is. I think that's the problem I have with it. It's it's being very selfish as a storyteller to sit there and say that, uh, you know, I'm going to do an adaptation of this movie, or this isn't really an adaptation of Stephen King's book, but it's a prequel to an adaptation of Stephen King. So you still have to play by the same rules. And it's selfish for her to say, like, I, I don't care about the rules that Stephen King established in his book or the rules that were established in the movie that I'm doing a prequel to. I'm going to do my own shit because I know better. And to me, that's just selfish filmmaking. And, and very few things in filmmaking piss me off more than that when it comes to adaptations and especially Stephen King adaptations. But ultimately, I think the, the biggest crime is the storytelling. I don't think the storytelling was very compelling because I really didn't care much about anything that was going on because she took away the one thing that makes you really care in this movie. Uh, she felt like the Bill and Timmy Baderman characters were, were straight up villains in the original draft of the script. And she tried to make them sympathetic with doing like a PTSD angle with Timmy. And you never really got much of the grieving father out of Bill. And I think that's where this story needed to go. I think you needed to do this story from the perspective of Bill Baderman. And and I know we've seen that before with Lewis Creed, but it's a different person. It's probably going to be handled in different ways. But I think you have Bill Baderman be the focus and that decision once his son comes back from... In the book, it's World War II because this is set earlier. In this, it's Vietnam. And that decision of his to take Timmy up to the the Micmac burial ground, I think that's a more compelling. You you would have more emotional collateral invested in this movie if you see it from his point of view and, and why and the decisions he made to take that. You can still have the Judd Crandall in this, but have him be more of a background player, a, a secondary player. I, I think you do that and then you have the ending that you get in the book or, or in the 89 film, uh, have that tragic ending where Bill realizes the mistake he makes and sacrifices himself to destroy the monster that he made. I think that's a more compelling story. And that ending is going to be a lot different than the ending we got in the original Pet Cemetery movie or in the book itself. Or in the 2019 film, as shitty as that ending was, it would have been different. It would have been where things could have gone if Lewis had made the right choices after he made a horrible choice of taking his family up to the pet cemetery. To me, that's the more interesting story, and uh, they dropped the ball on this. And also the deadfall in this looked like like a bunch of kids just piled up a bunch of sticks. It was, it was one of the worst-looking deadfalls I've seen in any of the Pet Cemetery movies. But there you have it. Those are my thoughts on Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Not a fan. Did not like it. Like I said, probably one of my favorite Stephen King novels, if not my favorite Stephen King novel, and one of my favorite adaptations of his works. And this did not do any justice to that at all, which shocks me because 
Yep, Lindsay Anderson Beer, like many filmmakers that butcher Stephen King's adaptations, uh, they're such a big fan and they just wanted to do right by the source material, but then they end up cocking it up. It boggles my mind. There's really only like a handful of directors that have done Stephen King's work justice that I have no qualms about them doing a Stephen King work. That's like Frank Darabont, Mick Garris, Mike Flanagan, uh, you could throw Rob Reiner in there as well. Only he's only done a couple Stephen Kings and none of the supernatural stuff, but but he did a great job with his couple adaptations. Uh, it, it's those guys right there. Uh, I may be missing one somewhere along the way, but those are the ones that you know when they head to a Stephen King adaptation, I'm like, all right, I'm on board. I'm all in with this because I know they're going to do a good and accurate representation of King's work. Anybody else these days, uh, especially in the past. Uh, we're going to say 20 years, I am going into it very hesitant because it's that modern age where everyone thinks they know how to do a better story than the master of horror himself. And that's why we get shit like Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, where everything that Stephen King set up as far as lore for this, this film franchise, quote unquote franchise, uh, was thrown out the window. So there you have it. I'm done talking about Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Uh, I was not a fan. Hopefully you enjoyed it more than I did. If you did, God bless you. I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts. Uh, be listening because coming up on Thursday, we have uh, another episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about VHS 85, which came out uh, last week. And you'll hear my thoughts on that and whether I liked it or didn't like it. I had a lot of anticipation for that, and I was really looking forward to it. And you've got uh, a couple good director, horror directors in there with Scott Derrickson and David Bruckner, who I'm fans of both of theirs. So uh, a lot to look forward to talking about that coming up on Thursday's episode. And who, who knows when I might throw in another bonus episode. We got a lot of content to talk about over the next couple of weeks. So uh, be listening for that. But I want to thank everyone for tuning in, listening to my thoughts on Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. You can check out more with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, uh, horror, fantasy, and science fiction on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, no matter where you listen to this podcast, follow it, like it, subscribe to it, share it with anyone that you know that loves horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And as always, please leave those reviews for five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop ha 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 ha